0: Hello and welcome to the inaugural Music Survival Guide podcast. I'm Joe from Nevis Audio and I'm the co-host. With this being the first podcast, it's mostly going to be an introduction and a few interesting anecdotes from myself and my co-host Phil, just so you can get to know us better. There'll be some links to stuff we're talking about in the show notes. I really hope you enjoy the first episode and I'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. So without further ado, here comes the show. I think a really important thing to establish is who is this podcast for?
1: It is for the modern musician. Um so whether you're in a band, whether you're just a, a kind of solo artist uh, recording from home, um, if you're you're touring regularly and you've just noticed that the music industry has changed so much. Um, even over the last like what, seven, eight years, it has dramatically changed again. Um I guess kind of Napster was the the turning point, really, wasn't it? and it all kind of started to go digital, but everything has changed in the music industry, and it's about working out what does that mean for you as a musician, and um you know how you get gigs, how you get how you record um, where you record, how you release your music, it's all changed, and it's about working out where you sit within that.:
0: yeah, I think just to add to that. I think the main inspiration for me doing this, and I'm sure you feel the same, is as a mix engineer, it's kind of half working on the songs, half careers advice that in theory you're not getting paid for, but it's kind of like all wrapped into the, the whole thing. It's hence why with a lot of the artists I work with, I've kind of got the, the, the nickname Uncle Joe. Because it's kind of like, uh, this, this, thing, this thing's happened. These these people are demanding money. Should I give them it? But we can get into that. So yeah, I, I kind of feel like this podcast is a really, really good opportunity to address some of those questions, have guests that have gone through these situations, and in general, just kind of expand on what is quite difficult to put in an email. Because if I had these conversations with artists all day as much as I love having them I I wouldn't be doing any mix engineering I'd, I'd just be answering emails and making phone calls all day so yeah I think a really important thing that you mentioned there is the industry is changing so much and so many bands and artists I talk with have this really quite frankly old school approach to getting you know almost getting signed in this whole route that they're going to take into the music industry. And for one, I don't think those options are available anymore. and so, Or they are available for the very few. And secondly, I also feel like the um, that it's not linear anymore. There's, there's no one-size-fits-all. You have to go down this route to be successful. There are so many case studies now of different ways of going about things it's not it's not a be all and end all if you're not signed i know of bands that aren't signed and are making more money than those that are it's really not uh it's really not a linear thing anymore so i think it it would be really interesting when we interview people or we talk about bands that we know and just kind of explain to people that you don't have to have this you know one track mind of I need to get signed for this to be a thing. Or uh, one common thing I just see is it's like, you know, we have to do X, Y, Z because this band in our genre also did X, Y, Z and they're successful. So we have to do it the exact way they have when that isn't the case at all anymore. So in order, I think, to get to know each other a little bit better because We've known each other for, I think, about a year now, maybe just under. Nearly a year.
1: Nearly a year. In in June. In June it'll be a year.
0: I think there's still many more things we can find out about each other. And more importantly, um, hopefully the people who are listening to this will find it really interesting too. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself?
1: Uh so my name is Phil. I am I don't know, I, I feel like I'm in an interview. I am twenty-seven. I had to think about how old I was then. Uh I do mixing and mastering uh in my business, which is vortis Sound Studios, which is a Doctor Who reference. Don't look it up, it's very nerdy. Um What is the reference? Oh gosh. Do, oh. So <sighs> this makes me sound very nerdy, you know that, right? I
0: already think you're a massive nerd, so it's fine. <laughs>
1: Well, that's fair. Um, so, it's a story from 1965, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a giant insect on this planet called Vortis, um, and it's a terrible story, and it looks awful. But I thought the name was cool, and that's that's literally the entire reason behind it. You've you've taken me off track. Um, I just realized through all this, I haven't mentioned. What genre I work with, which is is a bit of an oversight. So I would do uh, sort of rock and metal music, which is as broad as it sounds. Um, so I go anything from heavy indie. Is that a thing? I think it's a thing.
0: I'd say yeah. I mean, genre in itself could you could have an entire podcast discussing what is genre. So um, yeah, I'd say oh, that's, that's a rabbit hole. I would say from the stuff that we've discussed, I'd say you're anything guitar band yes guitar yeah gu- guitar indie ranging right up to metal and beyond is that fair to say
1: uh, i don't know about beyond i don't know about beyond i I draw the line at screaming joe what what who are you what, what are you about
0: <laughs> well uh <laughs> again this feels like either an interview or a really awful tinder bio so um oh dear yeah i'm joe i'm uh i'm a mix engineer at um at nevis audio so i specialize in remote um mix engineering i work with artists all over europe and america uh it's super fun um i also still do bits of producing but naturally i'm uh restricted to my area so that's mostly the northwest uh so liverpool and manchester but yeah so i also um Speaking of genre, it's probably, I think we've got a good balance of genre because I mostly do kind of pop, Mm -hmm. kind of up to where you start. So kind of like indie rock. Yeah, so I think like we've got a really nice crossover. Obviously, like, you know, genre is really, really difficult because I think you find, I've worked with people where they're like, um, hey man, yeah, yeah, it's really chilled out synth pop and then you get it and it's Kemper profiles and double kicker double kickers and you're like whoa okay that's that's definitely not what I thought of yeah so tell me a bit more about how you got into this insane business of um doing what you do i've never told you this story have
1: i you've never asked me this question before
0: um no which is why i'm really interested to hear it
1: it's a, it's a, a weird story so i found myself unemployed um post university and i was sort of sitting around going you know i was applying for jobs and stuff and i was like what what do i actually want to do i really don't know and i'm i'm let me put this a mediocre to pretty good bass player um so I I couldn't I I don't think I could do like some really technical music but I can do like really solid rock and slightly complicated metal where it's a bit fast. And uh I was actually chatting with my mum about that and she suggested oh why don't you try and become a session bassist. And I thought yeah that sounds great. That sounds like a good use of 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 being unemployed. Like I can actually try and build something. Um and that It did not go anywhere at all, Um, so I made a website. I spent about six months making a website on WordPress, um, doing all my own, essentially all my own coding, um, which was not fun. Um, I made, I had the best URL that I could, I could, I could ever imagine, which was fillthebase.com. I loved that URL.
0: Oh, lovely!
1: Yeah, Uh, I know, and I so I um. So I made this URL and then I thought, Oh, well, I, I could also, I could also actually do mixing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay at that. So I a bit more backstory. I I got enough, I got gear to record my own ideas uh, for writing and stuff. And then that kind of transformed. I made my own EP that I'm, I'm not going to tell you where to find it cause it's not very good. <laughs> um, cause I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but there you are. And so I, I, I got into this idea of mixing and I sort of abandoned the, the bass guitar bit because I thought that's the bit I can't do. Um, so I, I thought, yeah, let's do mixing. Let's give it a go. I set up my website. I set up, um, I thought, yeah, I'm going to be really good. I made my, I got business cards. Um, they, I've still got <laughs> them all because no one, no one really uses business cards anymore. But I felt proper getting them.
0: More importantly... Do they have the old URL of fill the bass on?
1: No. No. I, I I got my I got my new branding in place. Oh okay. Um but they do have my old email address on, so <laughs> they're a bit compromised. I've got about a hundred of them that are just sat there. Never mind. How about you, Joe? What 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 happened? So,
0: again, <laughs> I I definitely know we haven't discussed this because I was a session bass player.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you actually made money to being a session-based player. So you-
0: I mean... Mm,
1: if you made more than zero pounds, you made more than zero pounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, just. But <laughs> that's, we'll get into that another time. So, so yeah, I, I went down the whole route of uh, fucked up my A-levels, you know. Oh, uh, I did that huge, as well. Huge disappointment to friends and family. I um, wasn't going to go do genetics at Swansea like everyone hoped. That's fancy. Uh, and then I saw a thing for like, oh, I'll go do uh, music at uni. At this point, I kind of t- done it casually. Mm-hmm. Went to music, did, uh, you know, all the usual music you, nonsense.
1: You went to music?
0: Yeah, yeah, went to, <laughs> went to university. So, yeah, went to university, did all the usual music degree nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I came out of uni and then I'd always kind of had like a general interest for music tech. And then there was this opportunity that for the life of me, I can't remember how it came about, where Chapel Studios, which is an incredible studios in Lincolnshire, not to be confused with the 14,000 other studios called Chapel Studios around the world.
1: Is it a common name?
0: Uh, it's the most common name ever. When people say, oh, where did you work?
1: I think there's one in Wimbledon.
0: Actually. Yeah. When people say, oh, where did you work? And I go Chapel Studios and they go, oh, the one with Brian in uh, Edinburgh. No. The one with Keith in uh, Leith. No. And you just end up going through like a whole catalog and you go, which one is no, it? It's the one in Lincolnshire where Arctic monkeys did the record. And then they go, oh, all right. Okay. That one. Um, so yeah, then I think I kind of got into that route of doing, um, of of working at Chapel Studios and you know making tea, then becoming like an assistant engineer. Then you know, this is the main engineer gets sick one day. I take over as the main engineer, and it kind of has all led to this point. And here you are, and here I am. Like you say, magical transformation.
1: So when I was about fourteen years old, and I harbored band, harbored dreams of being in Iron Maiden because that was like my My ultimate. That was Steve Harris, Iron Maiden, Bass Guitar. Yes. (laughs) Sign me up. I read a book. I bought a book actually called Something Like How to Get a Record Deal. And it was it was an interesting book. I don't remember a lot about it because it was a while ago. But I do know that every single bit of advice in that book is now wrong. It's now out of date. Um it (laughs) it involved a lot of um, of sending out letters and how do you copyright your music something about putting your CD in an envelope and posting it to yourself I remember that um, and just ev- everything in this industry has changed so we're going to try and find um, the best people in the industry, the best people that we know who are doing really innovative things and there are so many people doing, doing really um, unique and different things to make themselves stand out and to give themselves a career and it's it's just really interesting, I think, if we try and find these people and bring them to you so that they can share their wisdom with you.
0: 100%. And I think, you know, between us two as well, I think we have plenty of experience and have seen the, uh, I'm going to put it lightly, awful things that some bands have done and awful choices they've made um, and can hopefully, you know, use those case studies and pass on our those experiences to you, the listener, so you don't have to go through the exact same things. The thing I, I found really interesting that you said there was how you got this book at 14 and it was uh, you know, all the things are really wrong. I think there's so much emphasis on just one thing. So, you know, they say, Oh, well, we're gonna concentrate on Facebook, or we're gonna concentrate on Instagram, or we're gonna concentrate on, you know, old school getting cds at gigs whatever <laughs> the thing i say to people when they kind of go oh facebook or instagram how do we i'm going to get this course on instagram i go yeah that's cool but do you remember myspace i just think if you think about the myspace generation and you know there are there are huge success stories from that Arctic monkeys being one of them yep. um but they you could not Apply all this money and time and effort into one thing, and then next year it couldn't exist. It's very true. Like that's it. You, you've. It's it's a format that's now dead. A case in point. I remember a band that I really. They were like an obscure American indie band that I really liked, uh, and I used to follow them on MySpace. And I remembered them. I think it was literally about two months ago. I mustn't have heard them in about ten years. I, I can't find them now because my only source was was MySpace.
1: You to so love MySpace, <laughs> <laughs> and even in the last like two years, Facebook has changed so dramatically. Um, so, like as a, as a, a band or as a business or whatever it is, if you want to find people who will um you know follow your, your page and like your posts and things. Um it's one of those things where you have to start paying money. Uh, you can't really get it for free anymore on there. So even even Facebook, even the sort of established um places are changing so quickly. Um, it just need just need to, to work out sort of the best ways to go with these things.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I also think the scary thing with Facebook is that not only are you paying money to put it in front of people you also need to pay money for the people who are your fan base already. You need to pay money for them to see it. Yeah. So I think it's on average. I think I mean it, this can change. So by the time this goes out, it could be totally different. It's something like only 13% of people who like your page will actually see your posts organically.
1: That explains so much.
0: <laughs> that's lower than I thought. Yeah, it was. and that's that's the insane thing because you know it's in Facebook's interest for you to for you to pay to do that. Um, and also there's, there's, there's so much danger in, um, in, in paying for, for Facebook likes because, Mm. okay, we're in a, let's say we're in a hypothetical band. We play, uh, shows in London. We're in like a indie band. So we play in a band. We want to promote our local shows. And, um, and let's just say, oh, well we'll pay for, more likes again, using that thing of only thirteen percent see it if you pay for likes and those people aren 't from London, then you 're now at risk of the people who could genuinely come along to those gigs not seeing not being part of that thirteen percent yeah, and those who you paid who live in Hull or Edinburgh that aren 't going to come to your gigs at all they 'll be the ones that will see your posts so it's almost it 's almost like running a business at this point, yeah, no, it totally is. Why would you advertise your shop in Liverpool? To people in Newcastle.
1: I don't know how we're going to edit the story into the podcast, Joe, but I really want to just tell you the story mm-hmm. about a band who used social media for their advantage in a bad way. And it's amazing. Oh, okay. So have you ever heard of a guy called Jared Threatin? What, sorry? This guy about. J- J- is called Jared Threatin. I have, have not heard of
0: him. I have seen that guy. You
1: have heard of this
0: guy. This is the guy who booked so out this this guy. A European tour and no one came. He booked out Yes.
1: Yes. So what he did, he um used social media in a very canny way, but in a way that damages it for every other band. So he um put together, he's an American guy, he made an amazing album in his home that sounded half decent not not amazing but you know far from awful it was actually quite well produced um put together a band of people underpaid them but you know they, they were young so they didn't really care they were seeing europe and he made a fake um essentially a fake band history page made some fake live videos that were amazing but they're not online anymore he took them down uh, he made a fake promoter, he made a fake record company and put loads of fake bands on there to make it look real and look convincing. And then off the back of that, um, and bought loads of likes for his Facebook page as well. Um, and off the back of that, uh, European promoters uh, booked him on a tour. So he played places like, I think, Camden Underworld, which is is like 300 people. And he got he got about 10, 10 dates And they got, they got support acts and it was, it was incredible. It's an incredible story. He, uh, booked these, booked these venues out and the support, so so the support bands played and there was nobody there. And then the band played and there was nobody there. Like literally nobody had bought a ticket. And it was, it was the most incredible deception that I have ever heard. Um, so off the back of this, this guy, has booked a show at Camden Underworld, I think in the coming months, um, because he's generated so much uh, publicity and so much uh, interest in the story that people actually want to see him play. And so out of this, this scam, he's actually built something. And that is not right at all, but it's very clever. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it shows what you can do in the social media world
0: yeah no i totally agree i can't help but feel in cases like that though is it is it almost like a parody? like do people go on do people want to go and see him because it's almost like a parody is it a comedy at this point
1: yes i was tempted to go for that reason
0: yeah it's okay (laughs) i'm I'm not going i mean that that tactic is useful but i can't help but think it will never be done again will he ever well yeah it'll it'll never be you know like you say it will never be done again and i can't help but feel like he will never be taken seriously as an artist it will it will always be a joke
1: i don't know i i i, I truly don't know he generated so much interest i saw hundreds of articles and youtube channel posts about this and it, it was just endless and i, I heard so much there was interviews all the guys that he'd messed about who were his um Uh, I was going to say support band that's not the word what's the word hired guns session players session players session players Um, and it's just it's just amazing what he's kind of managed to do Um, but it it did leave me feeling a bit
0: yeah it leaves a bit of a sour taste really doesn't it Um, no I think I think that's a really interesting one so to counter that I'm going to I'm going to tell you a quick one that is slightly more lighthearted and I think is a slightly better use of of uh, of social media. Um, but again, cannot be repeated because Spotify have wised up to it. So there is an American band that I'm sure as a bass player you know called Wolfpack. I don't. Um, you don't know Wolfpack? No. Well, you're in for a treat on Spotify later. Um, <laughs> so anyway... They're are a big band now. I think they'll they'll can't they've played um you know they've kind of done world tours. But I think a few years ago they wanted they had a big American following. They had um a quite big following in Europe, but not quite the funds to generate a tour okay. over here. So what they did is they released uh, an album called Sleepify, which they put on Spotify. And Sleepify is just uh eight tracks of complete silence and the whole idea was that you listened to the album on repeat whilst you went to bed or you went to sleep or you were at work or whatever and um the whole idea was that all the proceeds went to subsidizing tickets and um and they then went out on tour and it you know, generated huge media attention, and they've gone from being a big band into a really big band, and mm. it's worked really well in their favour. Um, so yeah, I think that even though some would argue Spotify won't be, yeah, too happy about it, it, I think it is a good use of yeah, uh, an odd uh, social media tactic.
1: Mm but i think um that's an interesting point actually so we're going to be talking about all sorts of things on this podcast but a big um part of every musician's life today is spotify um it's it's a bit of a dirty word to some people um because you know it's it stops people buying albums um and they said they just kind of you know have it a song on their playlist but um the best this is just something that's come to mind um the best um positive view of spotify that i've ever heard is that if someone likes your album and buys it that is one you know whatever it is seven to ten quid purchase and you're done um but if they like your album and they're choosing to stream it instead every single time they listen to it you get some money now that's not a lot um it's certainly not a lot i'm not pretending it's it's a lot but these kinds of things can build up and it's it's it, it kind of remains to be seen but perhaps over the time of that person listening to that album it may even generate more money than if they just bought it
0: once yeah no i totally agree i think another thing to remember is a lot of people hark back to the halcyon days of oh it's not like when it was released on vinyl and everyone went to tesco or sainsbury's and bought it and you go yeah it's not and it you know to some people, it would be it would be slightly shitter. But it, one thing to remember is you can sit there and go, oh, Spotify's evil and it makes no money and blah, 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 blah. Or you can just go, right, this is the situation. I now need to find a creative way of dominating that. Yeah. For every door that closes, i.e., you know, physical sales, another door opens and there are like Wolfpack and like, the the anecdote that you mentioned there are (laughs) ways of getting around it you just have to be the one to figure it out yeah and if you take the other option of just sitting and you know sitting on your ass and going complaining about stuff on facebook that's fine whilst you do that there'll be other people figuring out how to dominate the market
1: other people making a career out of it just seeing seeing pushing doors and seeing what happens it's totally true exactly um and there's this you know the the way the way that i consume music nowadays um it's completely different from you know five years ago so i i often discover music on spotify spotify is fantastic for finding bands that you or artists that you did not know existed um it's great for that and then i i find bands that i like i listen to them for a while and then i buy their album um, or their EP, whatever it may be. Um, so again, a positive way to view that is that, in fact, I am essentially double dipping. I'm I'm buying the album, but I'm also streaming it, and therefore there is some money coming to the band. And it's it's that kind of, that, that even just that kind of mindset that I think helps a band um, if they think about it in that way.
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, it's that thing of positive mental attitude, but also. It's the only attitude. You can you can complain about it, but it won't change anything. It's not like you know, Spotify or Apple are going to listen to Steve and Terry who play in a locals band and complaining about physical sales. If everyone else is doing well from streaming, you're going to have to adapt. So, Phil, if uh, people wanted to find out a bit more about you and your work, where would they head to?
1: So, um, I'm on most forms of social media. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, if you just type in Vortis Sound Studios, I've got a sort of funny, um, black and white logo with a V that sort of looks like a sound wave. Um, I'm on, uh, Instagram and I think that's a very similar thing. If you type in Vortis Sound Studios, you'll find me there. Um, and my website is VortisSoundStudios.com. Where can they find you, Joe? Where are you available?
0: Okay, so you can find me at nevisaudio.com. You can also find me on Facebook, uh, which is Joe Sage at Nevis Audio. And um, you can also find me on Instagram, which is just under Joe Sage.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that, our inaugural podcast. Inaugural is quite a hard word to say Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or anyone else you happen to listen to podcasts and if you know anyone uh, who you think we should interview they could be a band they could be a promoter or a record label or really anyone maybe in your genre or your local music uh, scene who's doing something really unique and different we're looking for people who are trying to push forward the music industry into the 21st century in really different ways and we'd love to interview people and share that with you
0: so until next time it's a uh, bye from me and goodbye from him <laughs> we're not the two running. we are